with you know people applying critical theory yeah. you know being woke and whatever like it's it's leaving a world without definitions correct and so we're just floating yes we're floating through this vast sea yeah. of humanity yeah no one gets to define anything let alone gender yeah all the way through to yeah. anything else yeah not a biologist I'm not know? a biologist. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's, now everyone what's a is. Woman? Now, yeah, exactly. Now everyone is. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's so it's, you know, like I'm a parent. Yeah. And so, like, I'm not fearful for my children, but I'm definitely fearful for the next generation. Yeah. Because it's like they're supposed to grow up in a world where they're supposed to have some kind of stability where they can chart a course. But that, you know, it's it's the old analogy of setting a watch with another watch and you have no universal data to to check it against you have you have no imperial data that you can go all right can we just check that these two watches are in sync with something bigger and better yeah but we don't have that yeah. or we're not allowed to have that yeah we are told that everything has its own definition your definition is fine my definition is fine yeah but it's not like so nobody's there's, there's, once again, so um, if you don't have the definition of the critical theorists, that's violence. Right. Right? Because I'm entitled to my definition, and my definition is my definition, standpoint epistemology. It's, this is my standpoint. How dare you violate or tell me what I'm feeling is wrong or what I'm feeling is right? Mm. You know, this is my experience, and my exp my experience you know, is the truth. And you're just going, hey, dude, um, you're, you, you know, you might have, your feelings might be true, but also your feelings have a lot to do with the framework that you have created or allowed to have been constructed. And so, yeah, your your feelings might be real feelings that you're having, yeah. but your experience does not decide what is true in the world. No. You, know, you don't get to define reality. No. And I think that's I think that right there is the is the clincher. You know, as a parent, I have to balance between addressing my kid's felt need versus truth. Right. You know, when my seven year old says there's a monster under my bed, yeah. there is a felt need. Yeah. I can't just go, there's no monster, be quiet, you silly little you. Yeah. Because she has a felt need. Yeah. I've got to address that felt need. But I don't change truth. Mm -hmm. I don't now go and get my monster vacuum cleaner and go and say, "Ooh, I've removed the monster because I'm now lying. Yeah. I have not changed the definition of what truth is. I can still address truth, address the felt need while maintaining truth. Right. And I'm not validating the lie right. by addressing felt need. Yeah. And I think that's the balance, especially as pastors, where we've got to figure out we got to figure out to, you know, grace and truth. Yeah. That the grace can deal with the felt need that people have. Yeah. But also leading people into truth. Yeah. And saying that felt need is not based on a reality that's actually true. Yeah. There is truth here. Maybe right now, 2 a.m. is not the time to deal with the truth of the matter. Yeah. Let's deal with the felt need. Yeah. You come sleep, you know, here, you're safe, you're fine. Yeah. And when, when it's daytime, let me tell you what the truth is. Yeah. There are no monsters under the bed. Yeah, that's exactly it. I'll, I'll be honest with you, in pastorally, and like how you know, how does this? What is the convergence point for the mercy and truth, or you know, love and, and you know, 
speaking the truth in love, you know, and uh, what's the threshold for that? You know, um, that is obviously what I think a lot of pastors are trying to navigate mm. and probably, you know, doing so imperfectly. Um, but I think that in terms of this next generation, um, the next generation wants the truth and they want to talk about things. And there are, there are, as a pastor, the truth is what accords with reality. Mm. That is what accords with reality. And I can't go, you know, I teach the Bible, but practically in the way that I live my life and the way that I see politics and all that, I don't, I don't practice that which accords with reality. Um, the church is supposed to be the pillar of truth, and we're supposed to be somewhat of a general practitioner of life. Like, like people should come to pastors, and pastors should be some of the most practical, wise, and earthy, you know, and I almost said worldly, but like in that sense, you know, like, like, like understanding how things practically work. Right. We should have, we should be able to go, uh, and this is our, tr our, the Christian tradition is actually full of Christian philosophers who were really good at life and politics. Right. You know, C.S. Lewis is a great example mm. of a guy who, like, the guy, you know, he wrote um, about crime and punishment. Mm. Uh, I mean, Dostoevsky, for crying out loud, you know, wrote about crime and punishment and the philosophy of all that and, you know, what is the threshold of justice and mercy, etc. Mm. So it's actually our heritage to coach culture and say, guys, we, we, we've come to a point here where we, we have to, what, how do we define truth? What is truth? And what are we going to do? Are we going to do what Christians have done in the last 100 years and we abdicate that role mm. of, you know, of politics? And we've tried that, you know, like with the secular societies that we live in. I mean, I imagine Denmark is pretty similar to America. Um, Americans are probably actually a lot Americans are, one of the things I do love about Americans versus Canadians is that Canadians have completely abdicated um and and we've left um we've we, we fleed in the last 100 years from 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 civil discourse from public discourse from the public sphere mm. and you know radicals and secular humanism has has filled those because that stuff is a religion secular humanism is a religion it is a faith and it hates Christianity, and it wants to be in control of everything. And my thought is, th that is not, it's not Christian to flee civil discourse, the public sphere, and then go, you know what, church, separation of church and state, and we're just going to talk about things here, but we're never going to address things here. No, it's holistic. Mm -hmm. That is our heritage. And we can't expect... I don't. I don't think that we need to necessarily get up, got caught, caught up in the in the culture wars, but we do need to speak to the age, not from the age, mm. and you know, speaking to the age from scripture, and speaking to our people, and 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 teaching them, being salt and light, and being redemptive. I mean, Europe is the result of Christianity. It's the result of Christian leaders, imperfect Christian leaders, but well-meaning nonetheless who created these beautiful societies yeah. from from um from christian principles once again imperfectly we, we didn't get always get it right um but we we did a damn good job and i think we did a lot better than our current counterparts and i feel in many ways that pastors you you don't you don't need to be that guy who's like stumping for trump mm -hmm. um but 
I think that it's important to address policies, address the way that we're thinking about things. And in many ways, I, I felt like in the last two, three, four years, I, I've been disappointed with a lot of church leaders being terrified to speak to something that's happening in culture, being terrified to speak about something that's happening, you know, because of, uh, people people need to know how what, what is the nature of reality and the truth accords with reality. Um, and so I see I see the church as, in terms of the needs of millennials and the ter- the, the needs of Gen Zers, p- these are people who want to hear conversations like what you and I are having right now. Mm. It's two real people, and we're not editing. We're just talking about it. We're just shooting straight. We're examining it. And I sincerely believe that churches and leaders who do these things and talk openly, like Joe Rogan's, have the faith, like honestly, have the balls to just talk openly about real issues. Take a position. Explore what it is that you believe. We will be, I, I believe that these types of churches, these types of leaders' ministries will be rewarded. Um, and we're, we're going to have a powerful um, impact on culture. It's amazing. I think, again, it comes down, I, I keep wanting to land the plane, but it's so awesome. Like the, um, I think it comes down to, the, again, the, the definition, because we define politics so often as the place of legislation and the place where politi- you know, career politicians are sitting and deciding what everyone else should be doing and shouldn't be doing. But politics, really, by definition, is just how humans interact. That's it. I mean, that's it. Yeah just in a large scale in society which is where christianity thrives yep. it's where i mean it was it was churches that came up with universities of bringing unity in the midst of diversity it was a you know you could have the 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 guys like john calvin that could plant 500 churches but at the same time lead a city yeah. you know like you you have these this dynamic between just understanding that what we do is that we bring in culture but not just culture within our four walls we bring in what's what does what does heaven to earth look like on a large scale loving your neighbor forgiving your enemy blessing your enemies you know so on so forth mm. giving water to those who are thirsty treating you know people with kindness opening up for refugees all that stuff and um and i think it's like you said like we got to we got to get we got to get our courage back yeah we got to get our courage back yeah we do we have to see, um, we have to see that ministry as, we have to see culture as worth um, reaching, um, and fighting for, and fighting for, and exactly, and fighting for, and contributing. And we have to see that others. So I've been talking to these these guys about Christian nationalism. Right. Christian nationalism is like this slogan uh, that has been invented by progressive-leaning Christians, and it's a pejorative. It means Christians who, you know, they're... <laughs> on Sunday mornings, they have a, an American flag up on the... It's, you know, it's the most extreme... I, I've, I've actually... I don't know if I've ever witnessed a, a, a Christian nationalist before in my life, but, you know, apparently they have American flag, and they think that Jesus was an American, and, like, right. you know, just stuff like that. It's like, it's a bit of a joke. It's a caricature. You know, of of a of a, a staunch Republican who worships Jesus and believes that Jesus was was, was white, you know, and like ate In and Out Burger or whatever. Um, so, and I've been trying to like talk people through this and go, okay, let's let's just let's just talk about the term Christian nationalism for a second here. Like everybody has a nationalistic idea 
for their country, right? Like they, everybody has a nationalistic vision hmm. politically. You know, every single person, whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, if you're an atheist, you have a nationalistic vision for your country. Right. If you're a Muslim, you have a nationalistic vision for your country. In a democracy, that's the whole kind of the the idea is that you know enough of us vote and we decide what we're gonna what we're gonna be. This is how we want to live. This is our yeah. national vision. So, and nationalism is not imperialism. It's often mistaken for imperialism. For example, um, Russians aren't na- so nationalistic that. They, you know, want to take over Ukraine. They're imperialistic, and so they want to take over Ukraine, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, Saying that nationalism causes somebody to invade another person's country is like saying loving your wife so much makes you want to cheat. You know, it's like, that's not what nationalism is. Nationalism is about, you know, this is my country. These are my four borders, and these four borders, I just love England. And you can like be the most nationalistic English person and and take holidays in France and Italy and and what you're loving when you go to France and Italy is that it's not England right. and you're eating French food and you know you come to Copenhagen and you're you're you know and the Danes they speak Danish and they're riding bicycles and everybody's blonde and you're loving it and then you come home to England where you can drink beer and eat horrible food yeah um, that's nationalism nationalism is. It's not that you what, nationalism is when you go when I go to Tokyo, I don't want to hear English. I want to be in a different world. Mm. And I and I celebrate it. I freaking love it. Yeah. I love being in a country where everything is theirs. And I don't want it to ever be American. I want it to be Japanese. Mm. What I love about Copenhagen is that it's Danish. It's there's bicycles, man, and there's and it, the way that they talk and their food and their 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 um, you know their their the food experience. Um, everything is is it's beautiful and it's you know you got the Tivoli and you it's wonderful and you're you're in the land of Christmas and so that's nationalism. Nationalism is countries being what they are and being unapologetically what they are. Mm. If that makes sense, yeah. Like Japan, they don't want anybody that's not from Japan coming to Japan. Why? Because they want to be Japanese, mm. and I freaking love that. Now they'll let me visit, and when I'm there, I don't know what the heck is going on. All I know is I'm in another world, and God, would you please preserve it? Yeah, Keep it that way. It's amazing. I don't want to see a Starbucks. <laughs> I don't want to see a McDonald's. If I if there is a McDonald's, I want it to be Japanese. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. And <clears throat> so that's nationalism. Um, yeah, you get disappointed when you go to an international chain in another country and you see the same food. Totally, exactly. You're like, come on. Exactly. Add it's, your spin on it. Exactly. Yeah. So that's nationalism. Nationalism is celebrating your culture to the exclusion of all others when you're at home. Mm. When you're at home, it's like, it's our culture. This is our things. This is what we do. This is our story. These are our borders, and within our borders, we're going to live our lives this way. These are going to be our laws. This is going to be our story. This is going to be our preferences, and stay out. This is this is our thing. And it's like and it's and it's wonderful that way. And when you go to Italy, I want I don't want to go to Italy and eat Chinese food. And God bless you if you own a Chinese restaurant in Italy, because I'm sure Italians want to get some Chinese every now and then. Mm. But I go to Italy to eat 
Italian food. And I want to see Italians and I want to, I don't want, I don't want to be able to understand anything that's happening. And I celebrate that. Just carb loading and espressos. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Gelato this, gelato that. Yeah. A lot of gelato. So imperialism is when you want to import your ideas to the whole world, you know, like the Germans did at the end of a bayonet. You know, like sauerkraut's the best. Here, have some, right? Mm. That's German imperialism. <laughs> right. That's not German nationalism. Mm. Okay. Um, now, the Nazis were obviously it's short form for national. Um, they were nationalists, but they were really imperialists. Mm. Uh, the nationalism is what rallied them and got them back from World War I. Um, imperialism is that desire to take things over and make them German. Um, that's imperialism, okay? Um, now, American uh, America is a great country. I like America. I live there. I love living there. Um, I can't stand American imperialism. I don't think that um, that America should be judging other countries on you know whether they do this or whether they do that or whether they do this or whether they do that. I think that the Hungarians should be allowed to decide what they want to decide on in their parliament. I think that the Polish should be allowed. If they, you want to be Catholic, then y'all be Catholic. You know, like Americans shouldn't be judging other people via the UN or whatever else it is on how they want to run their country. You know, it's, it's how the people have voted. This is what the people want. So, you know, you don't have it all together. You know, like um, we shouldn't be punishing people economically because they decide that, you know, they're that men and that there's not going to be you know, any gay marriage in their country. Like, that's their decision democratically. So, um, so all that, that's imperialism. I can't stand that. American nationalism or Christian nationalism, imagine this idea of having a problem with Christian nationalism. You're a Christian and you love Jesus and you are, and you're in a democratic society where you're supposed to vote. Mm. And so you vote for a guy who's a Christian, loves Jesus, cares about the family, doesn't want to start wars, you know, all that all that good stuff. And so you vote in politicians that reflect your your moral your morals. Now, the the atheist who's a secular humanist or, you know, some, you know, person over here who's a, you know, Muslim and you're living in Detroit, and so you vote Rashida Tlaib or you're a Muslim living in Minneapolis and you vote for Ilhan Omar and she rec- she represents your the interests of your community, right? In Congress or whatever. And that's okay. Mm. But as a Christian, I'm trying to, uh, my national vision is for an America that looks like my beliefs, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so somehow, you know, this type of this 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 idea that be a Christian, but don't vote your beliefs. Right. <laughs> it's like be a Christian, but never let that come into the public sphere. It's like, how is that even possible? Mm. Like, no. First of all, that level of compartmentalization is like it's. You have to be a total psychopath to live that way. Uh, number two, we live in a democracy, so you know, like everybody should have a national vision, mm. and you should vote. You know whatever it is, and so th- this has kind of become like a catch-all phrase where any um, any pastor, um, particularly in the last five years, who said vote your faith, 
you know, has been like, oh, how dare you? We'll take away your tax exempt status. How could you possibly do that? Every single person has faith, has a certain type of faith or has a certain type of framework. Right. Everyone that votes is voting for what they think is the best for their country. And they all have a moral guidance system. Yeah. Whether they're like conscious of it or not, but they have a moral guidance system, whether it comes from Buddha or it comes from themselves or it comes from Jesus of Nazareth or it comes from, you know, Joseph Smith, right. whoever the hell it comes from. Yeah. So this whole, uh, the whole hypocrisy of telling pastors and Christians and, and trying to shame pastors and Christians to say, you know, don't vote that way. You know, <clears throat> I don't care about your Bible. I don't, you know, I want to have an abortion. It's like, well, I don't care what you believe. I don't think that you should be able to murder children. Well, you know, you have some mythical book and, you know, and you're not letting me live my life. Well, totally. But every four years I have to put up with the way that you, I don't want to live my life the way that Biden wants me to live my life. Right. And I put up with it, you know, so it's like, suck it up, buttercup. You live in a democracy. If you don't want to live in a democracy, then go find a place where they, you know, are that way. But you live in America, most people here are Christians. 70% of Americans identify as Christian, and 50% of them are about evangelicals. So, sorry, not sorry. It is what it is. And so I think the pastors need, like, if you're a pastor, you should absolutely be shaping your culture, and you should be shaping your church. doesn't mean that you tell people who to vote for, mm. but I think it's good to go, hey, abortion, we have a problem with it. It, it sucks. Mm. Hey, war? Where you're, you know, like Putin invading Ukraine, we have a problem with it. You know, like that's imperialism. That's wrong. Let's let's help people here. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's not telling people what to vote, but it's it's giving people the courage. You know, we we often dis define and describe them as the silent majority. Yeah. But it's allowing the majority to actually speak up. Yeah. And saying it is okay for you to speak up, and you should speak up. And your voice matters. Yeah. It's amazing. Your uh, voice matters. Your voice matters. Mm. YVM. Let's start it. Hashtag. I like it. We love you, Nath. Love you too, Thomas. Thank you for being part of this. Thank you for letting me rant. I feel like we got... I love ranting. We got around a few things. A couple rants. Rant here, rant there, rant everywhere. Let's go grab some Danish food. I would love that. Some cinnamon buns. Actually, we're going to get a caramel croissant. Mm. Is that the one that Robert took a picture of? Yes, it is. Yummy. Thank you for listening to This Is Us podcast. Whether you listen to them as an individual or as a team, we hope that they add value to you. Make sure to click follow or subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you for joining us. We are who we are. This is us.